Welcome back to another episode of Nate's Take Sports Podcast. Today is episode 92. I'm your host, Nathan Stelmack. Thank you for all taking the time to tune into this episode. Finally back with another one, a uh, released one this past Wednesday. Hope you guys all enjoyed that. And so today we're going to do our normal um daily or excuse me weekly review of sports uh so today we're going to be talking about the week of October 28th 2018 today is November 4th um kind of like i guess really the big theme about this episode overall is kind of like an overarching theme is i mean Cleveland sports <laughs> had a very very bad week uh Really, just in terms of not not so much on the court or on the field or whatever, just in terms of off of it. I mean, well, obviously Cleveland sports right now are not in the greatest spot uh, as a whole. But I mean, both coaches of the franchises uh, of the NBA of the Cavs and the Browns got fired. So we're going to talk about both of that. We'll also talk about a little bit more of an update on the Jimmy Butler saga that's been happening in uh, Minnesota. And so yeah, uh, we'll start off the episode with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, I mean, they've had a really tumultuous week this week. You want to talk about just like an unfolding of events, something that when you look at it, you're like, wow, that team is really unlucky. I mean, the, the, the Cavs had just about as worse of a week that you could possibly have in a, a in a professional sport. So they fired Ty Lue last Sunday, and I'll talk about this first. The team started out the season 0-6, um, you know, not not looking good whatsoever. Um, and I, I think it really kind of finally you get a little bit of a light on just the whole time that LeBron was in Cleveland and, and, and with Ty Lue as the coach. It really kind of says a lot with Lue's role uh, on this team really throughout the past like three years. It's clear that LeBron ran the team. Uh, I mean, obviously, the the success behind this team was pretty much solely focused on LeBron. I mean, when they had Kyrie, that he definitely played a part. But the the deal breaker for this team and, and their success was, without a doubt, LeBron James. And now we finally get to see that, you know, w- when LeBron comes in, you, if you're the coach, you're just standing there. You're not really doing much, you know. You 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 technically have the control over what you're doing. You have the input, but like LeBron is really doing a lot of the stuff here. He's got. I mean, if you've got the second greatest player on your team of all time, like you, you can't blame the guy for really like taking over because he's he's had success in his career. Like it's not it's nothing on LeBron. It's just it's just how it works. Like if if you're gonna have a guy like that and he has the basketball mind that he has, like, yeah, you're going to roll with him as really your 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 big voice in that huddle. And so Ty Lu, I mean, I always had a feeling just that Ty Lu just never really seemed like he was the type of guy that was really going to come in and really assert himself in the huddle and really kind of, you know, make himself present and really, you know, make all, the, all those decisions and call the plays and all that you you just you just watched him during the games and he never really seemed like he was honestly like he was really into it like he always seemed kind of out of it and so I I think that this the part of the reason why this this year has been a struggle for this team is uh, just simply well first of all simply the fact that LeBron is gone and the 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 surrounding pieces are 
are not that great. The, the pieces that are left aren't the kind that are going to allow you to have any sort of a good season. And Ty Lue, I just... I just don't think Ty Lue's a good coach, to be honest. Like, it, it, it's extremely evident here, and there's a lot of stuff that's been going on just that behind his behind this firing. And I think the, it's clear that the issue with Ty Lue, especially this year, is he he he's kind of forgetting that like this Cavs team is not what it used to be. You have it's literally an entirely different organization when you have a guy like LeBron leave. You know any any organization that has its star player leave that have the that has the guy that's like synonymous with their organization move to a different team the culture of the team changes the identity of the team changes like completely it does a complete one eighty this last year the Cleveland Cavaliers were still looked as one of the best teams in the league now it's like okay well what is this Cavs team we we don't really know what this Cavs team is and so. It really the the whole thing that led to Ty Lue's firing is kind of like to be totally honest. Is if I'm Ty Lue, it's pretty embarrassing. Uh, pretty much, Kobe Altman, who is the team's general manager, talked with Ty Lue and said, "You know, I don't I don't want Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith in the rotation." And Ty Lue disagreed with that. Um, now the general manager is like. It's he's pretty much his boss. Like, if the general manager says that he doesn't want these guys in the rotation, they really shouldn't be. And so they sat out against Atlanta last week, and then the next day, uh, Lou just put them right back into the rotation without consulting Altman. So that that pretty much was was the final straw. Because first of all, your team's zero and six to start the season. Not a start that you want, regardless of what team you are or who you are. Uh, who your players are like that's just a really bad start to a season but then you went behind the general manager's back and played guys that you know they're at the back half of their career they're at the point in their career where they can't contribute on a nightly basis and you still decide to put them in there and especially i think the the, the bigger thing was that the whole point of this was you know jr smith and kyle corver are taking up time from colin sexton who this team just drafted with, I think it was the 8th overall pick uh, in this past year's draft. And he's going to be their point guard of the future. He's going to be their their new Kyrie Irving in the future. That That's what their hopes are for him. And, and so far, it, it does seem like he really has the opportunity to really shine as a player in this league. But the issue is, if you're playing J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver, like you're taking away playing time from... Colin Sexton, who, you know, hopefully is going to be with you for the long run. Like, Colin Sexton is at the point of his career as a rookie where he needs to get as much experience as he can. You can't just, he's he's averaging 23 and a half minutes per game, which is, that that's not something that you want, not only for your eighth overall pick, but for a guy who's going to be more than just, you know, a, a, mid-rotation sort of guy like he's gonna be your number one scorer hopefully in a couple years that's what you're hoping and so to put a guy in guys in like J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver who honestly they're, they're not having good seasons J.R. Smith I mean over the past several years has really really fell off uh, 4.8 points for J.R. Smith this year uh, one assist per game one rebound per game shooting 33% from the field and 33% from three I mean it, it's just been 
a, a very bad season for him. And you know what? Like, J.R. Smith is the kind of guy where you could place him at the back end of your rotation, you know, make him your 10th man or something, and he wouldn't be an awful player for you there. But, I mean, he's only playing 14 minutes a night. Okay. But it's just, like, so, like, he'll play, he won't play in a game, then he'll play a couple minutes, then all of a sudden he plays 20 minutes. It, it was just a very odd sequence of playing time for him. Like, all of a sudden he would just become more of a focal point. And so he's been having a really bad season. I mean, his minutes have dropped off significantly. And the, the guy's already asked for a trade. That's that's another part of this whole Cleveland Cavaliers saga is that, or, uh, excuse me, J.R. Smith wants out, which, I mean, if I were him, I, I don't blame him. You know, if you're not wanted somewhere, if you're not going to get the playing time, like, you know, try and find somewhere else where you can, you know, make somewhat of a contribution. Um, so the, there's that, which is, that's just... When someone asks for a trade like this, especially J.R. Smith, who always has had a kind of a funky, kind of like, I don't know, a, a, adds a funky feel to teams. I mean, this makes it even weirder because he's not afraid to speak his mind and he'll say exactly what he feels to the media. And that'll just make the team look really bad. It'll make the whole atmosphere within that locker room extremely uncomfortable. So I would expect J.R. to probably be traded within the uh, the coming weeks. I think that just makes sense uh, for the team's future, you know, culture-wise, not culture-wise, but to kind of ease some things and also, like, aesthetically, like, just simply because he's n not that good anymore. And then Kyle Korver this year, five and a half points, um, 1.4 rebounds, 1.6 assists, shooting 48% from the field, 38% um, from three, but, I mean, he the guy doesn't really take that many shots, so... It, you can't really put that into, you can't really quanti quantify that. And then he's averaging 15 minutes a night. So, I mean, I get that Colin Sexton is playing more than these guys. But, you know, Kyle Korver is, what is he? He's like 34 maybe? Uh, let me check. Kyle Korver is 37 years old, okay? So, Kyle Korver is 37 and J.R. Smith is, I think J.R. Smith's like 34 or 35. Uh, let's see. Jared Smith is 33. Okay, so both of these guys just are at the points in their career where you can't be taking away time from a guy who's like 10 year, ten to 15 years younger than you are. So you've got this this whole saga. So Ty Lue's gone. Now, what you were hoping for, and I think what a lot of people expected, was you bring Larry Drew in as your interim coach, who is currently your assistant, actually one of the highest paid in the league, is making like a million dollars. So... Clearly, he's a very valued uh, assistant, and he's had success with the Cavs as an interim coach. Uh, in 2013-14, he went eight and one with this team, and re remember that that was pre pre Le LeBron. Uh, so, Larry Drew has has had the experience uh, as an interim head coach, and probably someone that for a team like this in the situation that you're in, I mean, that's that's someone that you. you that you really want that could hopefully bring something to your team, especially for a guy that's that's been there for a while. So that was that was the expectation, but then all of a sudden, Larry Drew just refuses to be the interim head coach. He he says that right now he's the quote voice for the team, which I'm, that's literally just a like a placeholder. Like pretty much he's just saying I don't want to do anything, and it's because he wants to get paid more. Uh, his deal expires this July. 
but this, I mean, this is odd, because generally, like, if you're an intern, if you're an assistant, and they, they ask you, you know, we want you to be our interim head coach, will you do it, like, you're like, yeah, I'll be a head coach, but I mean, this guy's getting, they, it's probably, uh, yeah, because here's what the thing is, he wants additional money, additional guaranteed money for taking on the role of head coach, because obviously, you know, that taking on that role means more responsibilities, more work, blah, 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 so I get that, um, so he wants more guaranteed money, and the Cavs refuse to give him that, so he just says, okay, I just won't coach you guys then, so he's, he's still on the team as an assistant, because his contract isn't up until July, so it's not like he just, like, walked out, it's just, right now, they currently don't really have anyone that's, I mean, I'm sure Larry Drew's probably doing stuff in the, the huddle, but, he, he doesn't want to label himself the interim head coach. So that made the whole situation look worse because not only do you fire your head coach right at the beginning of the season, uh, and then the guy that is supposed to be your interim and who's had success just refuses to be your interim unless you pay him. And that just makes... And it's not even so much about the fact that he just refused. It, it's more about the facts of like what the reaction is from that or what feedback you're getting. It's The feedback you're getting is that your whole your whole team is pretty much dysfunctional like that the fact that you can't get a guy to be an interim head coach because he wants a little bit more money like that that's a really really big issue that's something that that can't be just like washed over you know that's that that, that's really bad and then on top of that Kevin Love had foot surgery and is going to be out six weeks and obviously Kevin Love is pretty much their number one scorer he's the guy right now that's running the offense that's you know really really supposed to be their big contributor and the sad part is like Kevin Love's not even having that great of a season uh, he's gonna be out at least six weeks uh, and we'll see because Kevin Love has had injury issues in the past we'll see if it ends up being six weeks so six weeks right now here let me see uh, pull up a calendar to see when six weeks would be that would that would probably be what's right end of October middle of December, maybe, let's see, end of October, one, two, three, four, five, yeah, so, the earliest you could come back is middle of December, which is, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty far, that's pretty far away, that's a lot of games this team's gonna have to go, uh, without this guy, uh, and like I said, he's not even having that great of a season, 19 points, three and a half assists, 13 and a half rebounds, 32% from the field, 29% from three, um, I mean, I've said it before, Kevin Love is just not at the point in his career where he, he can be that Timberwolves Kevin Love, he's just not that guy anymore, and so, you're in a really weird position if you're the Cavs, I mean, you would have to expect that right now, Colin Sexton is going to be probably taking up a much bigger mantle with this team, especially on the offensive end of the ball, I mean, he's, right now, he's their playmaker, he's their point guard, and, uh, you know, I'm pretty, sh- I'm, you know, he's having a pretty good season right now, uh, for this team, and I think that it's, you know, I think if you didn't have Colin Sexton, it would be an issue, I mean, he's averaging 11 points a game, he's shooting terrible from three, he's having an okay season, but we'll see, we'll see what happens when he's given the spotlight a little bit more, when he's, you know, able to take, you know, like the most, he's he's taken 11 shots, he took 11 shots uh, on the first November, uh, and that was his most all season, so, you know, We'll see. We'll see how this this Cavs team moves forward, but the the future for this team does not look bright whatsoever. You just 
this team's got a funky, their team's just funky. I mean, Jordan Clarkson's actually having a a pretty decent year, uh, to be honest. Uh, so that's something that you can kind of be happy about. Um, Savaging 15 points a game. not Can't shoot from three, obviously, but, you know, still doing something. Uh, but until, I mean, this just, it's just really weird for the Cavs right now, and it's not looking like it's going to get any better anytime soon. So now we'll talk about the other Cleveland sports team that is kind of in a rut, although I wouldn't say this team is as, I don't know, the situation for this Browns team is probably a little bit, a little bit better just because, you know, their future probably looks a little brighter. Uh, and I think that this move was probably the right one, to be totally honest. So they fired Hugh Jackson on Monday after they lost to the Steelers, uh, and now they're two five and one on the season, which honestly is it. It really, it, as crazy as it sounds, that's actually so far shaping up to be a somewhat good season. They have more wins this season than they had the past two seasons. Uh, I mean, Hugh Jackson was pretty much a failure uh, as a coach in Cleveland, and the the sad part is like this team has had so many bad head coaches. Uh, that, like, I mean, there was, I don't know how you, how anyone could have expected this guy to really work out. I don't, I don't see how, you know, coming from the, uh, Bengals, the offensive coordinator of the Bengals for a team that, I mean, the Bengals, you know, in 2016, 2015, when, when this guy got hired, the Bengals offense was definitely, you know, that that's when they were at their peak when Andy Dolan was like actually a good quarterback. Um, but once again, you know, they couldn't perform in the playoffs. And that was always something that that was always a little weird that it, it was just kind of a, a very, very odd part of this, uh, th- that team. But Hugh Jackson, I just I, th- I think the biggest issue with this guy is that he just doesn't know how to coach, like to be totally honest, because you know, I, I think the future is set for this, this Browns team. They've got guys in place that can really, you know, do a lot for them. You know, you've got your quarterback of the future in Baker Mayfield. And I think so far, with all the circumstances uh, right now and everything that's going in, it, going on within this organization, I, I think he's having a somewhat decent season. Uh, 1,471 yards, 58% completion, eight touchdowns, six interceptions, four fumbles. So statistically, you know, it doesn't look like he's having an inc- uh, that great of a season, but I think, you know, with Hugh Jackson and Jack Haley, who was also fired there, offensive coordinator, I think there were, there was a lot of, supposedly a lot of, like, turmoil uh, and issues between the two. And so, uh, here's the thing with the Browns, is they need a coach that, like, just... First of all, it kind of got weird, too, because the Browns said that it was because of internal discord it was the re- was their reasoning for uh, Hugh Jackson's firing. Now, Hugh Jackson actually came out and said that he disagreed with that and pretty much said that it was, it was because of... He thinks it was because of his own uh, failure to really kind of allow Baker Mayfield to take the necessary steps to get better, I guess, or to develop, uh, because he says that he should have implemented... Oklahoma's offense uh, that Baker Mayfield played with in college and obviously was very, very successful with, which is, it's definitely kind of different from the NFL scheme. You know, it's it's a lot more quick passes, slants. You know, you move you move quickly, which is really more much more suited to Baker Mayfield's play style. Whereas, you know, in the NFL, 
It's a lot of seven-step drop dropbacks. You know, you stay in the pocket and you make the throws, and I think that's that's really where Baker Mayfield kind of falls short. And I'm sure that that was probably a big issue or a big dispute uh, between a lot of people within that front office and within the coaching staff. Is you know, I'm sure that they probably wanted to kind of modify their scheme a little bit to fit that of Oklahoma because at a certain point, like. If you're if you know that Baker Mayfield really really thrives with this type of offense, especially if you're having him start in his rookie season and you're expecting him to, you know, do a lot for you, you kind of need to alter your scheme to fit his a little bit. Now, over the next several years, you you can kind of, you know, kind of slowly feed back in a little more NFL style play, but I I think you you can't you could he shouldn't have just thrown this NFL seven dropbacks stay in the pocket sort of scheme right away at Baker Mayfield. I just don't think that's the right decision uh, for Baker Mayfield right now. So Hugh Jackson went what did he, he went one and fifteen in his first season and zero and sixteen last year. Um, so overall with the Browns he went here he won four games. He, they played, well, 2-5-1 is 8, plus 16, plus 16. So he played 40, he coached in 40 games with this team, um, and they won 4. He went 4-40 four and 40 in his time w- with this Browns team. And he has a 205 win percentage, which is the second lowest in NFL history of coaches who have, have, have of head coaches who have coached at least, uh, 40 games, um, I mean, this is, this is, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if they hire a name that's come up is, uh, Lincoln Riley, who actually coaches Oklahoma and is, you know, deserves a lot of credit for really establishing Baker Mayfield as a, you know, top tier quarterback, so it's been rumored that, or, or hyped up that the Browns could just offer him a bunch of money to come coach him uh, and hopefully uh, implement that Oklahoma offense fully and allow Baker Mayfield to thrive much more uh, than he is right now. I mean, I know Lincoln Riley is getting paid a ton of money at Oklahoma, uh, and you know it would take probably a lot, of, a lot financially and and just pure convincing to get him to come on I I don't see that happening I don't think they'll I don't think he would just it would be difficult to pull him right out of a season uh that's to you don't you've never seen you never see coaches that get fired NFL coaches you know they get fired mid-season and then the team goes right to college while college is mid-season and just pulls someone right from there it just that it would honestly be a very very big mistake in my opinion to really try and pull him and pull him into the NFL immediately because that's a really big jump just in terms of like NFL to college is is totally different you know uh, so that would probably not be the best decision for this Browns team but I think I think this next coach like. The, th- the thing that this, this Browns team has always done is they've always hired someone that I think is kind of, 
really unknown as a head coach, I guess, or hasn't had the experience, or or even as a first-time head coach. Hugh Jackson had been a head coach like once before in his career in 2011 with the Raiders, and he went eight and eight. Um, so I feel like you need to have someone who has had experience as an NFL head coach, someone who has had success as an NFL coach, not necessarily like has won a Super Bowl or anything like that, but has had seasons where they're good uh, and just currently is not uh, in the uh, in the NFL coaching or or you just pull you know someone that's as an offense coordinator working for another team but has had good experience uh, as a head coach here. We're going to search up uh, the list of candidates because I'm sure someone has published, okay, five potential candidates to replace Hugh Jackson. So Lincoln Riley obviously has come up. Uh, Matt Campbell, who Iowa State, okay, I've never heard of the guy, but uh, the offensive and defensive coordinator of the Vikings, George Edwards and John Filippo, uh, and then Dave Tube, who is the special teams coordinator um, with the Chiefs. Um, and then Zach Taylor, who's the QB court coach with the Rams, which that one actually would make a lot of sense. I, I don't know. It's kind of difficult for someone to go from being, you know, a QB coach to a head coach, especially if they haven't had any offensive or, or any kind of coordinator experience. But I understand where this guy could come up because Jared Goff has really established himself in this league. And I think that, you know, the hope obviously is that this guy can work some magic with Baker Mayfield, but, I mean, once again, I think the thing with the Browns, is going to be really, it's really difficult to, you know, pull someone that's, you know, a, a pretty well-known name within the league, uh, you know, being the Browns, no one, no one really wants to play for the Browns, or coach for the Browns, especially just because it's, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a difficult job, like, without a doubt, um, but I think, I, I think this team has the, the, like I said, this team has the core players. You've got Mayfield. Uh, you, you've got Nick Chubb, who's actually has been having a, you know, a fairly good season this year. Uh, you've got that guy from the wide receiver from Florida who was in trouble uh, with the law, of, you know, over the past year or so, uh, but is uh, really, really good uh, and has been pretty good. Oh my God, his name is literally slipping from my tongue right now. Ah, oh, I can't remember his name. I'm searching him up right now. Antonio Callaway. You, you've got him. You've got Jarvis Landry. I mean, he's not really going to be looked at as, you know, five years from now. Will he be with the Browns? Who knows? Uh, on the defense, you've got Miles Garrett. Uh, you've got, you, you've, you've got, you've got some guys on that defense that can really, uh, that are young and have a chance to really be good for you uh, moving forward. So, I mean, the, the team is, like, their defense has actually been pretty good this year. You know, I, I think that they, they've held teams to, like, not, like, they're not playing that bad. It's just their offense just really needs re retooling. They're playing the Chiefs this week, which is is not going to be a very, very uh, fun game. They'll probably get destroyed, to be totally honest. Um, but, you know, like, they've, they, they gave up 45 points to the Raiders, which was a very bad game, you know, 38 to the Chargers, 26 to the, uh, to the Bucks, 33 to the Steelers earlier in the season, or this past game, um, 
But they've also held the Ravens to 9 points. You know, they've held the Jets to 17. They've held the Saints to 21, even though they lost. Um, so I, I think, and, and you notice, you know, you know, week two, they lose by three to the Saints. You lose by, f- you win by four to the Jets. Lose by three to the Raiders. You you lose by 14 to the Chargers. You, win by th- you lose by three to the Bucks. You lose by 15 to the to the Steelers. So there have been times or, and there have been games where this team has been so close and yet they just weren't able to convert. And I mean, Obviously, not all of that is on Hugh Jackson because he had that game against, I forget which, exactly who's against, excuse me, uh, where Zane Gonzalez like missed that field goal when they could have won won a game or tied a game. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where this Browns team moves forward. But I mean, Cleveland sports, not a great week for you guys, to be totally honest. Like, you didn't really, weren't that. Yeah, it was not great for you guys. Uh, so. Finally, or well, not finally because we still have to do this week in sports history, but next, our last weekly sports topic to discuss. Like I said earlier at the top of the episode, excuse me, we're going to talk about Jimmy Butler and the saga that's been going down with him. Uh, So he's basically, uh, because he didn't play, so he didn't play, uh, when did he not play it? On the first, which was Thursday, he didn't. Did not play on the first. Uh, let me just see. Yeah, he didn't. Or no, he didn't play on. Uh, did not play on a Halloween against the Jazz. He did play against the Warriors. Uh, what was that Friday? And I don't know if he's playing today. Um, but pretty much, he said that because they asked him uh, if he was. He he said to you that he might because they're playing back to backs this weekend. Uh, and he said that they he might sit out one of them uh, to for for rest, which I I mean that basically just means like uh, yeah I'm gonna sit out because you won't trade me and I'm gonna pretty much just try and force you to trade me and he pretty much almost acknowledged it that he, you know I'm sure it's because of rest but when they said is it because you want to get traded and you don't you want to ensure that you're healthy because if he's not healthy that then he won't get traded no team will want to trade for him uh and he was like yeah obviously i know that's what everyone says like basically this this whole sitting still has a lot to do with the fact that he hasn't been traded that his request hasn't been heard and that he wants to force this team into actually doing that um and i think one of the big things i want to talk about right now is uh probably like two weeks ago but since i haven't made an episode you know i haven't talked about it the Rockets reportedly offered fir- four first-round picks. This actually might have been like last week. I forget exactly when it was. Uh, they reportedly offered first f- four first-rounders for Butler. I mean, that's a big haul. You don't see guys really... I mean, it's... You really... you. I've never seen someone, you know, give up four firsts for a player or, or anything. Like, that's that's extremely rare, and it really shows how really how desperate the Rockets are right now to really push against the Warriors uh and the thing that really confused me and and I don't like I kind of understand why the Timberwolves didn't do it because obviously they didn't accept it or or that the the report just wasn't true like we don't know for sure you know what I mean uh but if I'm the Rockets I don't know why they're giving up four first round picks for this guy 
because the guy's entering, he's in a contract year right now. He's going to enter free agency. I mean, do you really want to pay him a mat, uh, you know, a near max deal when you already have, you know, you've got Chris Paul making like 165 million. You've got, uh, you've got James Harden on the super max. You've got uh, Clint Capella making like 80. I mean, this team is so far deep into the tax right now and their salary situation is so bad as it is. Like, I don't know why this team would be willing to take a shot at making your tax bill even worse. And I don't even know if he would re-sign with them, to be totally honest. Like, if I'm Jimmy Butler, going into my contract year and, and you know, surveying the league as it is right now, like, I'm going to the East. Like, he, if I'm him, I'm, I'm leaving the West to going to the East because the best chance that he has of making the finals is with a team in the East, whether that's New York, the, the Knicks, if Kyrie goes there, which, I mean, they would they probably wouldn't. But the, the point is, is the, the difference between the East and West in terms of talent and in terms of just good teams, it's really, really big. Like, if, if you're a player who... You know, if you're in Jimmy Butler's situation, hasn't really made any sort of push in the playoffs in your career. You know, you're entering probably his last major contract uh, year. Um, you know, you want to go somewhere where you have the opportunity to make it to the finals. And right now, the West is not that location. And the thing with the Rockets is, okay, so you trade first four first-round picks, which it would actually have to be. It's over like a seven-year period, so it would. It was something like it's something like they would give up a 2019 first rounder, uh, 2021, a 2023, and a 2025. You can't give back to back years in this sort of sense uh, for first rounders. Um, so even if you do get Jimmy Butler and you manage to keep Eric Gordon and PJ Tucker, and that's really why this deal supposedly didn't go through, was that the the, the Timberwolves really want. They either want uh, P.J. Tucker or Eric Gordon, and the the Rockets refuse to give them up. You know, you're not beating the Warriors. That's the thing. This Rockets team has been bad this year. I think they're like one in six right now, one in five. You know, they're they're not having a good season. Whatever, what I forget exactly what their record is, but the point is, is that they're struggling with the team they have right now. And I understand that James Harden has been hurt uh, recently, and that probably leads to a little bit of skewing in terms of the record, but still, like, the Warriors are playing, I mean, honestly, the Warriors are playing probably the best they've played since that, uh, since, like, the 2015 title, like, to be totally honest, in the regular season, because after, after they won that first title, eh, you know, well, let's see, they won last year, uh, they, they, why can't I remember the, They've they've won three times. I'm pretty yeah. They've won three times. Like you know, after that first title, and really, especially after this this that second one, I think it was extremely difficult for this team to come back in the regular season and find the motivation to keep playing hard. Because I mean, it, it's hard to convince yourself to work for something when you've like been to the finals four straight years and you know won three titles and and all that. But this Warriors team is playing like extremely, extremely well, and it seems like they they found the. And I don't know if it's because they see that you know maybe the Celtics, a team like that, could be a potential threat in the NBA Finals, and they you know they they got they know they got to step their game up a little bit. But I mean Curry's playing like 
I mean, he's an MVP candidate right now. He's been unbelievable all year. Durant continues. I mean, that big three that that Thompson, Durant, and Curry have been incredible. And especially, I mean, what did Thompson have? Like 50 points in three quarters. Set the NBA record for most three-pointers in the game, which Curry held. He made 14. And prior to that, he was actually having a pretty bad start to the year. Couldn't hit a three-pointer to save his life. Now all of a sudden he's you know he's back to his normal clay self or even better, and so even if the Rockets got Jimmy Butler, you're not beating the Warriors. You're just not like I I don't see how this team how Jimmy Butler is going to make the difference. And on top of that, Chris Paul like watch he'll get hurt like he does every year. Um and th- I just don't see how I think it would be difficult for Jimmy Butler and James Harden to really kind of really kind of sync together it, you know they're both guys that really need the ball and uh kind of need the need the rocks to kind of cement their status or cement their really really it, it, they're both ball dominant guys who need the ball in order to be the t- types of players that they are and i think it would be extremely difficult for them to really kind of play together and you know you look at an example back of you know with Kyrie and LeBron it was two guys who who were before they they played together were the primary ball handlers of their franchises uh, and that they needed the ball to really you know exercise their dominance um and i get that that was over a couple of years before that kind of imploded but the fact is like when you have two guys that are like that, it's extremely difficult for them to coexist. And the reason why, even though Chris Paul is more of a ball-dominant player, you know, he's more of a distributor than a scorer, I would say. And so he actually doesn't really need to score to kind of be the best player that he can be. He just needs to have the ball so that he could make all these crazy passes and set other guys up. So... I, I understand that the Rockets are desperate or were desperate and that either, you know, they were trying to just go all in for a guy like this. Um, but I just didn't, I think it was good that it didn't go through. Cause I, I think this team would have probably really regret it. And then for the Timberwolves though, I mean, four first round picks is really hard to pass up. I think the, the big deal was that, you know, they want to win now, uh, especially with, you know, they signed, you know, you have cat, locked in but I think if your team is not going to be good and is not going to really make any kind of push in the playoffs you know cat could demand a trade two years from now like it's it's definitely viable and then you're kind of in you're in this you're in this position all over again where your superstar wants out and it's just a terrible atmosphere within the locker room um and I get that it's difficult to it's difficult to project. You don't know how good the Rockets are going to be in 2021 or how good they're going to be in 2023 and especially 2025. Like that's that's honestly kind of a risk for the the Timberwolves to take on the, the these these uh, first rounders without any knowledge of what they could turn out to be. But at the same time, it's like Jimmy Butler doesn't want to be with you. He doesn't. He has no interest in playing. Like it's. He, I just to get four first round picks like no one else is going to offer you that but I think I think they're so devoted right now to really really winning now that they want a serious asset like an Eric Gordon or a PJ Tucker 
along with first-round picks. Maybe not four, but with a somewhat substantial amount. But, I mean, this this whole saga is really weird. And the thing that... The, he, the Timberwolves need to get this done now. They need to. Because every single day that this deal doesn't get made, every single day that goes by where Jimmy Butler is still wearing a Timberwolves uniform, you're digging yourself even more of a ditch. Because Jimmy Butler's not happy. He's not really going to give his all. He's not really going to try and... He's not going to pour his his heart and soul into this organization when he wants to be out of there. So you have him. And then the issue with Cat is like, Carl Anthony Towns is not happy right now. I don't think that Jimmy, he didn't, I don't think he and Jimmy Butler got along on the basketball court even last year. It was just very difficult for them to coexist. Once again, you've got two guys that are ball dominant that, that just struggle to coexist. It's just what happens in this league. And you sign him at the end of September to a five-year, $190 million extension because you say to to him, the only reason why he signed that extension was because they said to him, okay, we're going to trade Butler, and you're going to go back to being the face of this franchise. You're going to be running the show. You're going to be this. You're going to be that. You're going to be the big man on campus. And then he's like, oh, sweet. Jimmy Butler will be gone. I'll sign this extension. I want to be in. Uh, Minnesota, but as long as Jimmy Butler's here, it, it's kind of awkward for me. It's I don't like it. And then the team doesn't trade Jimmy Butler. Like, if you're Anthony Towns, you basically just got lied to. And, you know, I, I've heard arguments over whether or not that's kind of like a, 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 a messed up move by the Timberwolves. It's like you promise a superstar one thing, and then you just not, you don't even try to, you know, follow through on that. You know, it was, I think it, I think, without a doubt, they told him that they were going to trade Jimmy Butler. Like, he wouldn't have signed if they said, no, we're keeping Jimmy. Like, without a doubt, he wouldn't have signed. But I I, I, I do kind of think that, it, like, if you're going to promise a guy that, you already have a guy that says he doesn't want to be there in Jimmy Butler, and then you tell your, your, your 23-year-old superstar that, yeah, we're going to trade him in order to get him to sign like that's a that's that especially just because you're you're fraying that relationship between Carl Anthony Towns and the organization it was just a really really bad move and I think I I truly do think the Timberwolves are going about this all wrong you know they, they're trying to hold on to Butler because they think that he'll change his mind they'll th- they think that he wants to stay with this team when he doesn't uh Butler this year 22.3 points 3.6 assists Five rebounds, shooting 49% from the field, 36% from three. Uh, so, you know, having a, a pretty, just about what he's always done all season. And then this is where it gets interesting, and this really, really shows what Carl Anthony Towns is doing. Um, he's averaging, Carl Anthony Towns is averaging 18 points a game, which is a career low. Now I get it's the beginning of the, se- beginning of the season, but still. Uh, and last year, obviously, you know, he, he, he did play, you know, Jimmy Butler was out for a while and, you know, Towns got to kind of really become that guy again. Um, but still it's career low. Um, I mean, just barely his rookie year, he was 18.3, uh, but anyways, uh, 2.2 assists, 10.7 rebounds, shooting 43% from the field, which is a career low, uh, like by far. 11 points uh 
uh, difference. 44% from three. He's actually shooting really, really well from three this year, which is definitely a good sign. Offensive rating is 110, which is a career low, and then his defensive rating is 112, which is a career high. I think I think the the the, the biggest one, the the biggest the biggest stat that really says something is that defensive rating because you know Carl Anthony Towns, the biggest knock on him over the past several years has really been his lack of effort on defense, and, and it, that was really more of what it was. Is just the guy doesn't never really seem to kind of take defense as you know important. Like it just wasn't really never his style. But, I mean, to have the highest defensive rating really of his career right now really goes to show that he's probably not trying whatsoever. And I think I think what's really, really interesting is so this year, like, you know, he's he's had some, he's had weird games, like, honestly. Like, to open the season, he scored eight points in 22 minutes. Then he had 12 against the Cavs. Uh, in 35 minutes, and then in 34 minutes on the 20th, the next day, when Jimmy Butler doesn't play, goes off 31 points, 9 for 16 from the field, 4 for 6 from 3, only 5 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 steal, and then against the Pacers, 17 points in 33 minutes, Raptors, 14 points in 35, 27, in 27 minutes against the Bucks, he scores 16, in 32 minutes against the Lakers, he has 25, uh, and then all of a sudden, when Jimmy Butler is out on Halloween, doesn't play, Carl Anthony Towns plays 40 minutes, scores 28 points, 9 from 17 from the floor, 4 for 9 from 3, 16 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, and then on the second, 35 minutes, 13 points, 11 rebounds. So it's very clear that as soon as Jim, when Jimmy Butler doesn't play, like he he picks it up a notch, like, and I understand that because Jimmy Butler's not playing that, you know, he's naturally going to get the ball more, like, that's obvious, but clearly, clearly, he's not trying when Jimmy Butler's on the floor, and that's, that's an issue if you're the Timberwolves, you do not want to see that from your, one of your star players, so, end off the episode like we always do with this week in sports history, uh, October 30th, 1945, Jackie Robinson is signed to the Montreal Royals. So a lot of people may not know, you know, especially especially if you're not like a, a hardcore sports fan, is that like most MLB players, like even now, just in general, you don't, you don't just get signed and all of a sudden you're just in the majors. You know, Jackie Robinson played a season in the minors. Um and they he actually he was good in the minors they they won the minor league championship uh, and and i think one of the biggest things for him was if i read this correctly or if i i'm pretty sure i i listened to it on a podcast actually about jackie robinson that in montreal you know he was actually kind of beloved yeah i mean he was the only african-american player on the team there were it was all white guys but you know uh, it was I, I just I, I decided to choose this one because I think it was it's just important because he really obviously we all know what he did for this team we all know what he did for baseball what he did for sports what he did for the country what he did for the world and the importance of what he did but I just thought that it was interesting was this this was kind of the first step you know he's 27 years old uh, let's see what did he bat he batted 349. I mean, the guy was an absolute beast for sure. You know, only three home runs. Um, but he, the most he ever hit in his career was 19. Um, let's see how many doubles. He had 25 doubles, 
eight, he had eight triples. He played t- 124 games and had eight triples, 25 doubles, 66 RBIs, slugged 462. But, I mean, p- people back then, didn't their slugging was... I mean, that's, he still had an OPS of 929. Like, that's actually really, really good. Um, and so... You know, played with them for one season, then then came then then came up. Uh, so yeah, let's let's read this article. So yeah, he only spent one year, nineteen forty six. He played with with the team. Um, led the international league in batting, led them in runs scored, finished with second with forty stolen bases. The team won one hundred and fifty four, hit three eighteen the opening round playoff, hit four hundred in the championship. Um. Let's see. Here, here's a a quote from his uh, his his wife. Actually, Jack found his own style, his own his own style of play. He found his place on the team. Being in Montreal and doing well and being on a championship team made him feel more secure about his place in baseball. So, I think this is actually something that a lot of people overlook. Is you know this probably really helped him, you know, make the jump to the MLB because obviously not everywhere you know he's there was still a lot of racism where wherever he traveled um but i i'm yeah mutual love the year of jackie robinson's mutual love affair with montreal um yeah so canada was actually much more hospitable i mean you look back even to the days of slavery where uh when slaves escaped from the deep south and escaped north oftentimes they went to canada not just because you know then they were out of the country but also because canada was actually a good place to live for them um so, yeah, I, I mean, it's, you know, plenty of opposing fans, this is a quote from the from this article, you know, they, they shout out racial slurs, but a lot more people roared, you know, that's, that's what it was said, that, like, he was actually kind of treated, he was treated a lot better, because, you know, Montreal's obviously, a, you know, first of all, it was, it was probably good for him to kind of get acclimated to professional baseball, um, but, yeah, Let's see. I'm trying to trying to find something. Yeah. So here's what his wife said. Because um, he actually played with, um, he played in spring training with the Dodgers, and it was horrible. You know, the the racist things were said and all that. But here's what his wife had to say about Montreal. Quote. Uh, when we got to Montreal, it was like coming out of a nightmare. The atmosphere in Montreal is so positive. We felt it was a good omen for Jack to play well, end quote. That was from his wife. Um, and then here's a uh, quote from a... So, so, so th- this uh, this guy lives in Montreal, and he's the executive vice president of Association for Canadian S- Studies. says, although it wasn't utopia, so basically, you know, there were there were still was racial issues uh, within the country, uh, towards African Americans, I mean, there's, you're gonna find that everywhere, though, he said, generally, uh, the country, uh, was kind of a, it was a better place, really, they, it doesn't have the history and legally enforced prejudice towards African Americans, and then here's a quote from the guy, quote, uh, the issue of race was not as fundamental a marker of identity as it was in the U.S., it wasn't an existential issue here. Our conflicts centered around the ongoing conflicts between the French and English, Catholics and Protestants. They were more religiously based. Some experts argue there was slavery in parts of the British Empire in Canada, but it had nowhere near the legacy of the American narrative. So, I mean, that's that's definitely nice that he was 
treated nicely in Montreal. But it was it was something that was, you know, it, just in terms of baseball, at least it got his feet wet. And then I'm sure that if he didn't have that experience in Montreal, where you know he was actually welcomed uh, much more than he would be in the MLB, he wouldn't know what it was like. He wouldn't when he would play in the or in the MLB uh, with that Dodgers, and he would have experience all this racial things. You know, it's oftentimes it's still really good to know what the opposite side of that is like, what the opposite side of the spectrum is. Uh, so, just thought it was interesting. So, uh, and yeah, the Royals fans loved him. Um, so, yeah, I just, it's nice to know that at least he had a good experience within his sports career, because his career, I mean. It, it took a lot of perseverance to continue to do what he did because you know we couldn't imagine what he he went through because it was it was unbelievable most guys would have quit immediately but just so impressive that he was able to stick it out so that'll end the episode i hope you all enjoyed it um that's the week of october 28th i will see you next time on in episode 93 um hopefully that can be next week um you can catch me on twitter at nate's take pod at G- uh, at nate's take pod and email me at the take nate at gmail.com with any questions comments you know sports related things um until next time i hope you enjoyed the episode and i'll see you later peace